0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here, and I know you've heard this several times already, but let me say it again. Welcome to Midtown Community Church. Um, that is, that's not going to get old for a little while, I don't think. So um, we are so glad that you're here with us. And um, I want to take a moment here uh, with, with all of you present, just to say to those of you who have been a part of our core team, uh, who have been integral to getting this church off the ground, just to say thank you. Um, this church has been a sign of God's faithfulness to us, but it's also a sign and a testament to the faithfulness of all of you who have poured your hours and work and prayer into making this a reality. And so thank you for everything that you've done. Um, we are in so grateful for each of you here. As we gather each week here at Midtown Community Church, we're going to open the Bible together uh, because we believe that in it, the real and living God speaks to us. And as we begin today the public worship of a new church, the question that many of you may be asking in your mind today is, why do we need another church? Some of you may say, even, hasn't the church been the cause of crazy amounts of violence and oppression and harm throughout the centuries? Why another church? And maybe for some of you, your questions are a little bit more benign, like, why this church in particular? Why ought this church to be planted? And if you are here and you're asking those kind of questions, just know that we are excited that you're here and take those questions seriously. We believe that we owe it to our neighbors and to this place to give a clear and compelling reason why this church ought to exist. And so for the first nine weeks of the life of Midtown Community Church, we're going to do just that. Uh, We're going to walk through our church's vision and mission and values from the scriptures to try to give a compelling answer as to why this church ought to exist. And so this morning, we come first to the vision of Midtown Community Church, which Whitley already said for us. That we exist to see the weak, wounded, and wayward of Midtown Harrisburg encounter the living Jesus. And this morning, on our first Sunday together, we're going to focus on why Midtown? Why is Midtown in the name of our church and that statement? And from the text of the book of Jeremiah, we are going to see this morning that we as a church are for Midtown, because God commands his people in their time on earth to seek the peace the peace and flourishing of the city in which he has placed us. So if you would, open with me to Jeremiah chapter 29. We're going to be in verses 1 through 14 this morning. and. If you don't have a Bible and uh, are following along with us in the pew Bible there, in the back of the pew, it'll be on page 695. And if you're here this morning and you don't own a Bible, uh, we would love for you to take that. This is the one time we will condone stealing in the life of our church, Um, please, to pillage those Bibles. We would love for you to take that home and to have one for yourself. Page 695. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 through 14. This is God's Word. It says, This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining exiled elders, the priests, the prophets, and all the people Nebuchadnezzar had deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah, the queen, mother, the court officials, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metalsmiths had left Jerusalem. He sent a letter with Elisha son of Shaphan and Gemariah son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah king of Judah sent to Babylon to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. The letter stated, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says to all the exiles I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon.
1: Build houses
0: and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourself and have sons and daughters Find wives for your sons, and give your daughters to men and marriage, so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. For this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. Don't let your prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you, and don't listen to the dreams you elicit from them. For they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. This is the Lord's declaration. For this is what the Lord says. When 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. You will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, this is the Lord's declaration, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come
1: this morning to your
0: word, I pray that you would give us um, hearts to receive it, pray that in this text you would show us clearly who we are supposed to be and who you are and what you want from us. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we look at this passage of scripture this morning, we're going to break it down into three sections, all centered around this theme of what it means that God's people are to live as exiles in our present age our three points for this morning are are the context of exile, the call to exile, and the hope for exile. The context of exile, the call to exile, and the hope for exile. So first, let's look at the context of exile. And we see here in the first few verses of this passage that the prophet Jeremiah is writing a letter to the people of Israel who've been taken into exile. Now, brief ancient history lesson. Bear with me here for a second. I promise it will pay off. The nation of Israel uh, was called to be God's holy nation. But if you read the Old Testament, you see very quickly that they did not live up to the calling that the Lord God gave them. They began to live in the brutality and violence and paganism of the rest of the nations of the world. And eventually this nation split into two parts, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And eventually, God sent both Israel and Judah into exile at the hands of the superpowers of their day. Now, this letter that we have here in Jeremiah twenty-nine is a letter written by Jeremiah the prophet from the city of Jerusalem in Judah to the first group of exiles that were deported to the empire of Babylon sometime after 600 BC. Now, notice what Jeremiah wants. Of God, who have been taken into exile, to understand that their exile is going to last for a while, and that it's no accident. In verses eight and nine, which I think to us are a little bit confusing, right? Where he he seems to go on an aside and start to talk about these false prophets. What what Jeremiah is addressing there is actually there were false prophets that were coming to the people who were in exile, and they were saying, "Hey." I know you just got sent to exile, but don't worry. We're going to get out of here real quick. Don't unpack your suitcases. Hang tight. We're going to be out of here in a jiff. And God comes to the people through this letter of Jeremiah and says, these are false prophets. This exile is going to last for a little while. It's going to last for 70 years. And not only that, but notice the intentional agency in verses 4 and 7. God says, I deported you from Jerusalem to Babylon. God wants the people to see that he himself is the one who did it. Now that would have been really hard for these people to hear. Uh, A nation whose life centered around life in a specific land with God, now sent away from that land for a long time intentionally by their God because of their own dehumanizing sin. And God says, I did that, and it's going to last for a while hard for them to hear. But what's interesting about this context of exile for us today is that the New Testament speaks about God's people being in exile. The letter of 1 Peter specifically draws on this theme, the text that Camilla read in our liturgy where it calls us strangers and exiles, that Peter picks up on this theme. Now, we all are exiled. Not from the land of Judah, but from the Garden of Eden. The place that God made for our home because of what the Bible calls sin. The dehumanizing actions and inclinations of each of our hearts. We are all, because of sin, exiles from our true home with God. Now acknowledging even this truth, without teaching the rest of this passage, just that fact alone changes our posture toward our earthly cities, our earthly homes. Uh, after college, I, I lived in a house with some friends for a few months, transitioning before I uh, got, got a real job and moved on from from that phase of life, trying to figure things out. And, and for a few months as I lived in that house, I, I acted like that was my home. And so, so I unpacked my suitcase, I, I drank out of my favorite coffee mug every morning, Right? It wasn't like a vacation, but there were some things that, that were different. I, I didn't make my permanent home there. right? Like I didn't start like scraping out the bathroom tile and going to Home Depot and getting samples on new tile or or like getting the blueprints for an addition to this place. It was only for a while. But let me encourage you all with this this morning. Don't make the mistake of thinking this earth and this city as it stands now is your permanent home. It can be easy to place our hope into an earthly city and and to desire as Christians for that city to directly mimic what life is going to look like in the kingdom of God, and then to become frustrated and angry and disgruntled when that doesn't take place. But that's not the posture of an exile. An exile recognizes that this city isn't our ultimate home. The posture of exile sets our expectations in proper proportion to reality. That we are here, in this place, for a time, but it's not our permanent home. And yet, while that is true, look at what this text calls us to be as exiles. I think it's a little bit surprising from what we might expect. Let's look at the call to exiles in verses 5 through 7 of this passage. God says to the people through Jeremiah, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Praise to the Lord on its behalf for when it rising. So what does God desire for us? His people in exile. Well, three things from that, those, those verses there. First of all, he wants his people to root down and invest in the earthly city. He says there in verse 5, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce. Uh, just because we are exiles, that doesn't mean we don't take up permanent residence and plant our roots here in this place. Uh, Christians don't stand aloof From the earthly city where God has placed us, we invest in it. We take root in it. Second, God desires his people to multiply and to maintain their distinct identity. God commands his people here and he commands us to continue to have children, to continue to increase followers of God, even in the pagan land where they found themselves. And this is the same for us, too, church. Uh, It's not just a call to have children. It's also a call to maintain our uniquely Christian identity, even in the face of cultural pressures that would push us and drive us away from that. And lastly, God calls us as exiles here to seek the well-being of the city. Now, that word, well-being, in verse 7, is actually the the technical Hebrew term, shalom. And that should be a word that's familiar to us, right? It's a greeting in in the Hebrew language. But that greeting comes out of the environment and the ecosystem of how the Bible uses that word, shalom. In the Bible, the the word shalom refers to an environment of flourishing that God intends for his creation. In the book of Genesis, God creates all things to exist in this harmony, in shalom, with him and with one another. Uh, Shalom refers to a society of perfect justice, of loving and selfless relationships, of thriving families, of a holistic integration of human beings with the earth. But as we spoke about earlier, humanity's sin fractured that shalom. That whole peace. It fractured our relationship with God. It fractured our relationships with one another. It fractured our relationships with ourselves psychologically. And it fractured our relationship with God's creation. So now, in this exile, in this pagan empire of Babylon, God calls his people to pray for and to seek the shalom. only reason why that's the case, the only reason why God would command something like that is because God loves cities, because God loves people, even people in the big bad pagan empire of Babylon, and so too here in our own city. He wants his people to invest in our earthly city, to work for justice, to share his message of good news, to seek the common good of our neighbors, even those who don't believe the same thing. As we do. In short, to summarize all this, God calls exiles, calls us as his people, to be distinct from the city, yet invested in the city. And Christians seeking to maintain this biblical identity, all of us, I think, face some unique temptations and distortions of this biblical calling that kind of threaten to get us off track to this biblical calling of living in exile as distinct yet invested in the city. Let me list just three of them that I thought of as I was preparing this. First of all, we as Christians can be tempted to hide. So if this earthly city isn't our ultimate home, and we find in this earthly city many pressures that could undermine our faith, we can be tempted to just withdraw and circle the wagons and focus on building up our own private enclave of a Christian community. That's one approach. And I mean, think about what Israel would have been tempted to do in Babylon. Think about the pressures that they would have faced from the most pagan and oppressive and brutal empire on the face of the world. This temptation that we face here is to jettison our involvement in the city, For the sake of our own distinctness. For the sake of our own holiness. Now, we can call this temptation the church apart from the city. And yet, God calls us to be distinct in the midst of Babylon. In the midst of the city where he has placed us. And part of what makes us distinct as Christians is that we pursue our own holiness, our own distinctness, not just for ourselves so that we can feel really good about ourselves. We pursue distinctness for the sake of the world around us. So that's the first temptation. The church apart from the city. Second, we can be tempted as the church to assimilate into the earthly city and to lose our own distinct Christian identity. I think all of us who are trying to faithfully follow Jesus can testify That to live faithfully in the midst of the city is difficult. It's not easy to do that. It it becomes very hard whenever certain beliefs are constantly provoked as being antiquated and backwards. There's a lot of cultural pressure on Christians to adopt this posture of
1: assimilating
0: to the earthly city. And we can call this temptation, uh, the church as one with the city. But to assimilate and take this posture is to jettison our distinctness for the sake of investment in the city. It's the opposite of church apart from the city. Uh, to assimilate, though, is to lose the very thing that makes the church actually compelling in the world. In order for the world to be drawn to Jesus, he has designed this church to be people who look Uh, As Jesus says, uh, we're to be salty. We're to have a specific flavor to us that is different, that is attractive for the sake of the world. So, church apart from the city, church is one with the city, and finally, the last temptation that we Christians can be faced with is to attack the earthly city. Now, think about what it would have been like for a Jewish person living in exile You've witnessed these people brutally take captive some of your loved ones, your friends. You've probably witnessed some of your loved ones and friends killed at the hands of these same people who you are now under their thumb. The impulse, the distinctly human impulse, is to want to seek revenge, right? To want to rage, to want to revolt against the big bad empire yet God calls his people to pray for the empire and to seek its good. Church, in our cultural moment that we live in right now, there is a huge pressure for churches to play the part of the agreed victim and to lash back at the secular state with vitriol and at worst with violence. You can call this temptation the church against the city. But this jettisons both our distinctness and our investment in the city. It jettisons both of them, right? Right. It jettisons our distinctness as people called to non-retaliatory love for our enemies, and it jettisons our investment in seeking the good of the place where God has settled us. Theologian and sociologist uh, Miroslav Wolf, uh, in his wonderful article called Soft difference on the letter of 1 Peter talks about how violence from Christians in response to the world only results in more of the same. However, he says, quote, when blessing replaces rage and revenge, the one who suffers violence refuses to retaliate in kind and chooses instead to encounter violence with an embrace. Church, no matter how much you may feel attacked we're aggrieved by the earthly city, God calls his people to respond with intercessory prayer and with blessing to seek the good of the place where he has settled us. So here at Midtown Community Church, we consciously adopt the posture of exiles. But we're not a church apart from the city. We're not a church that's one with the city. We're not a church that attacks the city we are a church that exists in the midst of the city. We seek to maintain our unique Christian identity for the sake of our neighbors here in Midtown, and we invest our lives for the good, the shalom, the flourishing of this place under God. Now, that means several things practically for those of us who call this church home. First, What you do for your day job has a direct ramification on the flourishing and the shalom of this city. So whether you're baking bread at a local bakery or auditing a corporate client, whether you're selling a home or helping to settle refugees who are being settled in our area, do it consciously as a Christian for the sake of the shalom of this place. Your work is really important. And it matters to both God and to this city. Second, at a baseline, this passage encourages Christians to pray for and be kind to their neighbors, regardless of their beliefs. Uh, It it feels like it should go without saying, but we need to say that. In a world that is increasingly becoming uncivil and brutal, that, that, that has impacted our church. We are called to pray for all people, regardless of their beliefs, their political persuasions. We're to seek the good and blessing of the people of this place. And lastly, here at Midtown Community Church, we encourage anyone who calls this church home to either live, work, or serve here in the city of Harrisburg. And that's because we take the calling of this passage really seriously. Uh, We don't want to just be a church building that is located in Midtown that we all drive into for an hour and a half and then never set foot in this place ever again or do anything for its good. We want to be sacrificially and meaningfully invested in the shalom of this city because God loves this place. And this is where he has put us. So that is our calling and our responsibility as exiles. And as we do, God promises us at the end of verse 7 that in its welfare, we will find our own welfare. So to summarize, borrowing a phrase from the late pastor Tim Keller, we are neither tourists nor natives. We're exiles. That's who we are. But lastly,
1: let's look at the hope for exiles.
0: So if all of that's the case, if that's what our calling is, then how do we continually seek the good of our city? How can God's people, in other words, maintain both holiness and love in the midst of the earthly city without hiding, assimilating, or attacking? How do we get the stamina to continue to pursue the shalom of this place whenever it gets hard? Uh, Whenever this place does respond to us in ways that are hostile, how do we do that? Well, we need the hope of returning home. That's how we do that. Would you look with me at verses 10 through 14, and let's see the hope that we have promised to us. It says, when 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you, To restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. You will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. Simply put, church, we can continue on because God promises that our exile won't last forever. And we see that hope all through these verses, but particularly we see that hope in verse 11. Now, Jeremiah 29.11 is a verse that has been made famous by being plastered over all sorts of bumper stickers and coffee mugs and every other piece of home decor at Hobby Lobby.
1: Uh, it's everywhere,
0: So that such that if you're here and you're not a Christian, you probably know what Jeremiah 29.11 is. But that verse isn't a cliche. That verse is actually a declaration of pretty truth. You see, God's plans for his people involve a long exile. Part of God's plans for his people and prospering them is a long time in exile. But God says that even through that and out on the other side, his people have a future hope. And what is that hope that we have for the other side of our exile? Look at verse 11. Notice that word there. Halfway down, plans for your well-being, plans for your shalom. That's the same word as in verse 7. You see, church, the ultimate hope for us as Christians is not in our own ability to bring in shalom in this age. Our ultimate hope is not in our own efforts. Our own hope is not in our own humanitarian um. Our hope is in the God who promises to make all things new. Our hope is in the one who was the truly faithful exile, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus, though he always was at home in heaven, entered into the exile of human existence. During his earthly life, Jesus brought shalom wherever he went. Jesus restored people's relationship with God by forgiving their sins. Jesus sought justice for the poor. Jesus encouraged people to forgive their neighbor. Jesus healed the sick and welcomed in the outcast. And Jesus eventually went to the cross, where though he was the perfect man who poured his heart out for the sake of the city, was crushed by the city and died outside of it as an exile. You see, on the cross, Jesus experienced the fracturing of Shalom. But he did not stay in the grave. Jesus was resurrected, and his resurrection and eventual promise, second coming, is the assurance that we have that Shalom is coming, and that all the work that has been done to secure it is already taken place. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, and that gives us assurance that we will experience perfect peace, wholeness, and shalom. We will be brought home one day. This earth, this city will be made to look like heaven. And that hope drives us to seek the shalom of our city now, to evidence God's new creation in the present in hope of what he will one day do to restore this place and to bring us all home. Now, as we close, some of you may say, I was tracking with you up until that point. The good of the city, the, the present reality, uh, seeking justice and the good of this place. But come on, really? A future heaven as our hope? But, like, doesn't that kind of distract us from the thing that's actually important? Uh, how is that hope any good for our present reality? Well, C.S. Lewis, in his classic work, Mere Christianity, anticipates and answers this very objection. And what he says is really instructive to us as we close. He says, and it will be on the screen for you a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown it. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. Lewis is saying there that consistent Christianity is simultaneously heavenly-minded and good for the present earth. And where Christians have ceased to be good news for the present world, His ultimate hope is a God who became a man to ultimately bring shalom to all things, to restore all things. And that hope, Midtown Community Church, can empower us for the long haul. That hope can be like jet fuel for us to stay faithful to the Lord Jesus, to live as his faithful presence, even when it gets hard here in in this place. That can be the, the fire in our bones to keep us from assimilating or hiding or attacking this place. But to stay faithful to the Lord and love this place. Because we are exiles sent here for its good with the hope that God will make all things new. So church, let's roll up our sleeves and love this city no matter what they come. Because this is not our home. pray.